Hi, welcome to the church split. My name is Will, and let's talk about a church split. Let's talk about the time that I had my very first church split as a senior pastor. Now, I've seen other ones happen beforehand, but I want to talk about this one because this one's special to me because it's my first one. So, it's not much of a surprise that this one will stick with you. So, for, so just so you guys are aware, I took a, this job as a pastor, the lead pastor here at this church when I think I was 24. And I am now 28. I'll be turning 29 here soon. So I've been here about five years. So when I took on this church, I knew this church uh, my entire life growing up. And I knew a lot of these people. In fact, this was even where I interned. And it was funny because I didn't realize some of the issues that were about ready to come down the pipe when I accepted the job as a pastor. Now, when I was interviewing here and I was candidating here, I had to fill out a 17-page doctrinal statement asking me to have like multiple references to back it up and all these sort of things. And I filled this whole thing out and one topic came up that was, uh, well, Will, what is your view of Christians and alcohol? Now, if you want to know my full view on that, there's a video here on the channel. You can go check it out yourself. But essentially, I wrote on there, hey, you know, I caution the abuse of it. You know, it is a sin to get drunk, but it is not a sin to drink. And I left it at that. You know, it's a sin to drink. It's a sin to get drunk, not to drink. Well, I went through and I passed her. And things seemed to be going pretty well. We broke, we broke our record of all of the church budget of all time. We had you know, financial success. Things seemed to be going pretty well, but all year long I noticed that there were some issues. Some things started kind of coming out. That happens over time. But I told myself for my first year, I just want to kind of get my feet wet. Well, one of the biggest issues that first came up was the fact that that contributed to the issues we experienced was the board structure. The board, anyone who was on the board wasn't necessarily a deacon or an elder or spiritually qualified. They could be anyone with a leadership position. So the maintenance supervisor, they were on the board. They weren't a deacon, but they were on the board because they were a maintenance supervisor. The librarian, literally, literally the librarian was on the board. And so basically, if you had a church office, you were on the, on the, on the board. And that wasn't biblical. And I had an issue with that. And I was like, oh, we'll address that eventually. But, you know, these people seem pretty good. Until I started noticing the problems. So what essentially was on the board, there was three sides to the board. There was the old pastor's family, and the old pastor still attended the church. And by the way, the old pastor's a great guy. He actually was there for 40 years. He was the one who started the church, essentially. But this guy, he honestly, when people came to him with problems, he did send them my way. He's like, well, it's not my decision to make anymore. You need to go with him. So in all fairness in this, it, none of this was really set up by him on that front. So, but there was his old family who was in control of a lot of things. And then there was this other side um, and they were just a good group of friends that were kind of on their own side. And then the, th the third group was pretty much me and a couple other guys, two other people on the board who, who were just honestly trying to lead the church. And then there was these two sides with their own personal agendas. Well, a lot of things came up, um, and, but like I remember, I just changed when we prayed in the in our service because like we prayed, we opened in a word of prayer, and then we prayed before we had announcements. But before announcements, he'd go up there and pray, and then we would have offering, and guess what? We would pray, and then I would preach, and then at the end we'd pray. And I was like, you know, there's a lot of times where we're stopping and praying, and prayer is a great thing, but I feel like we could like have a smoother transition because it felt like we we're using prayer as a transition time, and I didn't like that. So I was like, we let's do all X, Y, Z, and put prayer here. Well, then that was a problem with this individual, uh, with one of these many individuals. There's a lot of problems. One person had a fit about the color of the sanctuary when we were going to repaint it, uh, which was really silly to me, uh, and. 
a lot of weird things. This one person didn't like the investments I made on some of our sound equipment and had a fit here and there. And one thing that kept coming up, well, pastor so-and-so always did this. Pastor so-and-so always did that. And one person, like with the sound equipment, well, pastor, you should have talked to pastor so-and-so before you did that. It's like, well, actually I did. They were the first person I called. Really? Huh. Yep. And then it got really awkward. It was really funny, but... One thing I noticed as we were going through was it definitely started becoming this group of people kept trying to control me and this group of people tried to control me. Well, we want you to do this and whatever they wanted me to do was in conflict with what this person was saying. And then this person was telling me to do something that was in direct conflict with what that person was saying. And it was very much a pulling me different directions and I was like, I don't know how, what to do here. I don't know how to handle this situation. Um, I just want everyone to be happy. <laughs> Can we all just get along? And what ended up happening was I had a meeting and I was like, guys, I'm just noticing there's a lot of friction in the board and what we need is a unified body. You know, it shouldn't, and so I pulled out 1 Corinthians 3 where we talk about not Paul or Apollos, but serving Jesus Christ. And I made the parallel. I hear all the time that pastor, that, you know, the old pastor did this and this and that, and I'm doing this and you don't like this, and but it shouldn't be me versus him. It should be us serving together for God. And I'm talking about this, and so this board member gets up, and he explodes. He goes, "You," and it's verbatim, Will, I got a lot of problems with what's going on around here, and you are right at the center of it. And he got up, and he stormed out. And uh, the entire time when he spoke, was up there screaming, and I was like, hey, okay, well, if you just take a seat, I'd like to talk to you about it. He's like, no, and he just stormed out. And he took his family with him at that time. And I was like, what in the world just happened? And to this day, I have no idea what he was upset about. He tried to talk to me about it personally later. And it was just like, I don't like basically any of the minor changes you've made at the church. And this person also regularly came up to me, well, everyone's saying this, people are saying that. And what he really meant is him and his little cronies were, were having a lot of gossip sessions. <laughs> but then the other group of people wanted to control all, all the staff and things going on in the office and everything there and playing politics with that. Uh, so much so, this person told me I need to pick up some supplies for the church. I bought supplies for the church. And then they said, I spent too much money on the supplies for the church, even though I got exactly what they asked. I told them that's what they asked for. And they're like, yeah, but you didn't even try to get coupons to get it cheaper. And I'm like, it was $30. You want me to, I will give you the $30. I literally said that. It was at 8.30 at night and this person was yelling at me over the phone. And I was like, I, and I just remember being so shocked because I was like, why is all these little things what is causing people to just go bananas? Because like we should be focused on how to get the gospel out to our community, not how we can yell at each other about spending $30 on labels. I was really surprised. But um, so as the story and the situation just kept furthering, I remember this. We came to a head at one board meeting one person on the side that was trying to control a lot of the administration wanted this person removed from their position, wanted one person removed who was not in the meeting. And this individual said, well, if they're going to be in that position, shouldn't they be tithing? They ought to tithe. And the person who was saying this, of course, was the person who kept track of the financial books and knows who tithed. Fun fact for you, as a pastor, I stay out of that realm. I want—I don't want to know how much people are giving. I don't want to know who's giving because as a pastor, I don't want to be involved in any of the money situation for the, as far as that's concerned because, yeah, it's a, it gets sticky once you start knowing who gives what. And I don't want anyone to ever accuse me of ulterior motives. So this got wild and I was like, you can't be bringing up their 
tithing information in a meeting as ammo against them. That's not okay, especially publicly in front of like 10 people. And one of the things that, and oddly enough, the person who was saying this was like good friends with them and was completely stabbing them in the back at this point. And I was, I was, with all these different issues that were happening, I was thoroughly disgusted when this took place. So essentially when this person brought up all of this information about this person's ties, what they didn't realize that these people were like a month behind in their mortgage and were struggling financially. And instead of demanding money from them, we should have been giving them a gift, which we later on ended up doing um, after these other people left though. But you know, they had no idea of the situation here, yet they were willing to make an instant judgment, bring them before everyone, drag them through the mud. And I just remember going, standing up finally like, you know what, with all the inner fighting that's been going on, I am thoroughly disgusted with it. You have crossed the boundary here by throwing, slinging mud at them like this. And you know what, if this is the way the church wants to operate from here on out, you can find yourself a new pastor because I'm not going to have any of it. And me, one of the deacons left, and then even the old pastor's, one of his closest friends got up and said, yeah, he's right. And he left with me, which I was very surprised. Well, of course, this all ties back. Then what ends up happening is, a lot of other issues started coming up. So one individual in the church who was part of this group of cronies, essentially, they found out that I was okay with, they found out I was okay with people drinking. Uh, There's a youth leader who had a beer once in a while. He posted on Facebook with him, just hanging out with some friends. There was a beer on the counter. And this person was like, they cannot serve a youth group anymore. I'm like, why not? He drinks and that's a sin. I'm like, well, no, it's not. And we had this whole conversation. Things just went downhill. Um, and then suddenly he's like, I need to meet with you tomorrow morning. And he was going to have the old pastor there. And I was like, you know what? If anything, I am going to at least go in with ammo. So I stay up to three in the morning putting together this like 14, 15 page thesis on every verse of the Bible, breaking down the Hebrew and the Greek and the breaking down all the cultural things I could possibly find and just breaking down my entire synopsis. I have it still around here somewhere. I think I have it in digital form. And then I brought it to this meeting and I was like, guys, before we start arguing about Christians and alcohol, I think it's important we just ask if it's a sin and we should go from there. So I took this and I handed it to both of them going, I want you to read this. And if you find that I'm wrong in this, I would like you to come to me and tell me where, where I'm wrong. But so far, this is where I'm coming from. And the guy took it and he threw it back on, on my desk and he goes, I'm not reading that. And I was like, I'm really glad that we care about each other's perspectives here and we're definitely making truth the objection, objective. Anyway, so then I was like, well, guys, I wrote this on my doctrinal statement that this was my stance. And I kid you not, the guy who called the meeting and who was on the pulpit search committee said this. He goes, oh, I never read that. I was like, what? What do you mean you never read that? I filled it out. And Brian, I was so upset. I spent hours on that thing just to find out that it wasn't read. You know how frustrating that is? It's like doing your, it's like doing your homework and that no one ever gives you credit for it. And this person just, and, but then later on the person was like, you know what? I talked to my brother about it. We can agree to disagree. And I was like, okay, great. And we continued on for three months. That was the time frame. Then he found out that somebody else had, you know, had a drink. And then they came up to me and was like, you're still okay with this even though you know how I feel about it? I'm like, you literally said, that you were okay with it, with agreeing to disagree. I really wish that, you know, essentially we could come to a conclusion here. 
But that was when I realized that he was talking to the other person who has all sorts of issues with all the things about changing when the prayer was, about, you know, what things were going on with maintenance and stuff. They didn't like this decision. They didn't like that decision people were making. And it was essentially this. And then this person started calling all around the church, telling them about all the alcohol in the church. Which, by the way, there wasn't all this alcoholism going on in the church. So I, you know, we were, I called him back and forth. He's like, nope, I'm just telling people the truth. I'm like, no, it's getting out of control is what, is ha is what is happening. You're just gossiping and slandering at this point. Because what was happening is now the rumor got so out of control. There was this one, that rumor of I was getting drunk with a church member. And then I was all, he was my designated driver. And we did this regularly. The other one was I brought a bunch of alcohol to youth activities and gave teenagers alcohol. And it was crazy. I just remember, like, when I heard rumors the rumors I was like this is hilarious this is even news to me this is amazing I had no idea I did these things and I remember trying to handle these things with these people individually but they would have none of it uh, they people started refusing to listen and then the other group of people who hated the other group of people they started finding just ways to just Oh, these people hate him too, so I'm going to attack him now too. And then what started happening is things started disappearing at the church. People started taking down paintings. They started taking down uh, taking uh, tables were disappearing. And then I reached out to some people like, "Hey, do you know what's going on with this?" And they're like, "Yeah, we resigned and we took all the things we we gave to the church. It's not, you know, that's our stuff." So the people took what they gave to God and took it back because they're mad about whatever. And you know, to this day, I look back at the split, and a lot of them said it was my stance on alcohol. But what's funny is I was very public about my stance on alcohol. I even had that conversation with some of the people who said it. I was like, well, that's what the Bible says. They're like, yeah, we agree. And then later on, they changed their tune because they felt like it gave them a moral high ground. And long story short, our church, we lost 30 members. And I look back and I think there's some things I could have done differently. And... And it's not changed my stance, by the way. It's because my stance is outright biblical, and there is no there is no way around it, really. And that was my hardest thing. My heart, the hardest part for me was like, well, it's not even that big of a deal to me. Alcohol is not that big of a deal for me. And I actually could have thought, well, maybe I'll just say, yeah, we'll just be against it as a church, just just for to keep the peace. But then. I realize if I compromise scripture in one area, I may as well compromise it in every area. If I'm willing to say one thing is a sin that God never said is a sin, I'm what's to stop me from the next one? See, it's a real dangerous slippery slope once we start calling certain things sins or we start compromising certain truths just to make people happy. So essentially, if you compromise the truth, you're living a lie, right? And that's the small goes for the smallest of truths. So point is, is so the church split. It got really ugly. I was, uh, one person showed up at, at six in the morning and knocking on the door and t just to tell my wife how terrible of a husband she had. It was this wild, wild event. Uh, <laughs> I still look back at some of the things that were happening. I'm like, what? Like, but I think I'm not alone on this. I know a lot of pastors have experienced uh, similar stories. I, I, I talked to so many pastors like, yep, no matter what, you're going to be the bad guy. And no matter how upfront you are, someone's always going to find a way to twist everything. And that's essentially what it was. And I, I remember it hurt it hurt me because there were so many people I was close to who suddenly became my enemy and I realized how ulterior mode is the entire time. Um, so here's the thing. This is why in Psalms 133, David said, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. He's saying, you know what, guys? Unity is important and it's beautiful when brothers do it. But you know why he's saying specifically that it's how is good and pleasant when brothers do it? 
because they don't do it a lot. Brothers have a tendency to fight. You don't have a brother, do you, Brian? No. Nope. Okay. I fight with my sister, though. You fight with your sister? Okay, that works. Yeah. Uh, I, I have fought with my brothers before. <clears throat> I get along with my sister pretty well, but her and I have fought before. You probably have fought with your siblings before. And if you're a single, you know, if you're just the only child, then you're a spoiled round brat. So that's... <laughs> Just kidding. But <laughs> unity is important. And he's saying that it's pleasant. It's special when they do it. But the problem is that many people don't. This is when I started realizing why Jesus spoke so strongly in Matthew 18 when he did. And you guys might remember that. I have a video on here. Uh, you can look at look it up called Unity, How to uh, Prevent a Church Split. If you find that, you can watch it. You'll get a full breakdown there. But the thing is, is that Paul also says, hey, not only, Jesus said, hey, if they don't repent of these things, take it before the church. If they still don't repent of all these things, let them be unto you as a tax collector and a publican. In other words, excommunicate them, essentially. And that's one thing I didn't do at this point was I kept trying to, like, I didn't want to, because these people are friends, I didn't want them to leave the church because it was my first <laughs> conflict I've ever dealt with uh, as a senior pastor. So I was trying to protect their reputation as much as possible. So I didn't take it before the church at the time. And that is one of the things I changed right away because gossip got out of control and I wasn't able to control it because I didn't, they didn't, people didn't hear it straight from the horse's mouth. They heard it from so-and-so who heard it from so-and-so and the things got out of control. But this is why we ought to bring it before the church to cut it off, to cut, the, to cut the snake's head right off. And then also, when these things happen, what does Paul actually say? He told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, he goes, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, which means if you're causing a lot of quarrels and causing a lot of problems, uh, you're not being a very good servant. But he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So what does he say here? Hey, you need to correct your opponents, but you must do so with gentleness. And so that was one thing. So I had a couple meetings about this, and I remember that what came, what brought it to a head finally. I was, I was like, you know what? We need to have a meeting. And I, I pulled out First Corinthians three again, but then when he talked about the, he talked about you were ready for you, you, you guys could only drink of the milk because you weren't ready for the meat of the word. I brought that up. I was like, look, guys, if we can't be unified, we're not eating, we're not having the meat. Essentially, we're not eating the meat of the word. Instead, we're all a bunch of babies in here wanting to fight over little things. We ought not to do that. And uh, so I finally just kind of like I drew the I drew the line in the sand, realizing what the issue was, and went. If you're willing to work in unity here, stay here, please. If not, there is the door. We're done. And it was funny because that's when the mass exodus happened. But you know what? It's okay to invite people to leave once in a while. Inviting people to leave can actually protect your church. And I know that sounds almost contrary, but at the same time, protecting in your church is more than protecting its numbers. It's protecting its spiritual health as well. So then also in 1 Corinthians 5.11, Paul gives us even a clearer picture of things. He goes, but now I'm writing to you not to even associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. So he's saying, hey, 
hard line in the sand. If they're a swindler even, a reviler, I think we oftentimes get stuck on you know sexual morality. We'll talk about the greedy person, the drunk person. Oh yeah, we can't spend time with them. Or the idolater, you know, they're worshiping false gods. But we oftentimes don't realize that a swindler and a reviler is in there as well. And the thing is, is I, I actually took some peace in that later on. I was like, yep, this is the right thing to do. It's okay to draw that line in the sand. But one thing I want to definitely bring up here is what Paul says in Acts chapter 20. See, Acts chapter 20, Paul was saying goodbye to some of his closest friends and disciples, knowing the fact he wouldn't see them again because he was going to be put to death eventually in the near future. And he goes on at this whole thing, encouraging them in God's word and his grace and asking them to carry on the message. But then he says this in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So I have uh, instructions to my soundboard. It's a little graph. And this is going to be an object lesson, okay? Everyone likes an object lesson. At least I do. I like pictures. Hey, Brian agrees. So that means all of you are wrong if you disagree. And therefore, now we can cause another church split. It'll be great. So here's the thing. You know, we see the instructions here. And the whole thing when he says, wolves will come in among yourselves. You know, we always talk about external threats of the church. But we oftentimes don't think that our biggest enemies can be ourselves. So we have to make sure that we sheep don't become wolves and start devouring the church and tearing the body apart. Especially over small, minute little things. But he's going, all right. Here's the truth. Do you know what it means? By, you know what it means to be twisted when he says that, that they'll be twisting words. So if this is the truth, when you twist it, it still has a, a similar image, but it's distorted. You can't make much sense of it, maybe, but it maybe you can. But if you follow it, it's going to bring you to a wrong conclusion. But it's only twisted. See, that's the thing that's dangerous in every church split I've ever been a part of is the fact that people take things and they twist the truth, which is always the dangerous part in the gossip, right? That once the gossip starts coming around, they have just enough of the truth sprinkled in there to make it either believable or seem like that's gotta be what it was. So careful, whenever, if in your church, pro tip in church, when you hear something, don't take them at their word right away for it. You need to make sure you validate it with the truth and make sure you get all sides of the story. But almost better yet is not to get the stories at all. Tell that person to go talk to the person they have issue with and not to involve more people because it's just going to cause more and more of a split. But the biggest problem is that people make confident assertions knowing nothing. And Paul talks about the dangers of this, of people who make confident assertions without the truth. Truth is very important, but truth can be twisted and distorted. And I think we've all known somebody who's twisted the truth just enough to make you the bad guy. And you know, this is a classic narcissist move as well, but that's, that's a topic for another time. But we've all seen it. We've all seen it in either church members, maybe friends, maybe families, maybe church leadership. Maybe you've seen it from a pastor even. I know I have. So it's very important that we be careful to look out for the wolves who are trying to twist and distort the words. So, in short, what I wanted to do, I'm hoping that this channel can be a, a benefit to you, but what I wanted to do is give you some behaviors to look out for to help prevent maybe this very experience from happening to you. So, first off, be careful of those who want to be in leadership. And I know you're like, what? But leadership's a good thing. Yeah, the, yes, leadership is a great thing but with the right motive. 
When people are over here going, I want to be in leadership, I desire to be in leadership, and they're trying to shove themselves into leadership, that should be a red flag to you. Watch out for that person and probably do everything you can to keep them out of church leadership because it could just cause more problems. In fact, my first church split was nothing but church leaders all fighting each other and fighting and trying to fight me. And essentially, I didn't give them what they wanted and it caused problems. So be careful those who want to be in leadership. Uh, Brian, who is not, you know, the video producer, he's in one of our videos and he'll probably be in more in the future. His family, they just kept texting me questions when they first came to the church and he wouldn't respond to me. He seriously, he'd ask me a question like, what are you, what is your view of women's roles in leadership? And I'd be like, well, X, Y, Z, da, 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 this reference. And I gave him this whole breakdown, which is a good video for some time in the near future. And what did he do? He doesn't respond. So I'm like, well, I don't know if he hates my guts now. And this continued on for a while. And then they invited me over for steak dinner. It was amazing. But I wasn't sure if they were going to corner me on stuff or what. And it went really well. But And obviously, we're now really good friends. But it's funny how that stuff begins. But one thing I appreciated was the fact that he was up front. He was asking questions and just trying to make sure that I was following a biblical view of things before they decided to latch on to our church. So the other thing is, it says, uh, is to... And, and by the way, he did end up in church leadership, but not because he wanted to, but simply because he was qualified to be. And I asked him to be involved in it. And he was like, okay, yeah, sure. And he never taught Sunday school a day in his life. And now then once I asked him, I think he nearly pooped himself. But was it a little nerve wracking? I was, I was nervous. <laughs> He's gotten a lot better at it. It's, it's pretty great. And then he thought that the best book for him to try to teach through his very first book would be Hebrews. <laughs> go bold or go home. Go bold or go home. It's like that in Romans. Like, oh, I've never done this before. Let me talk about the deep theological books. But anyway, the next per behavior to look out for is those who say phrases like, well, people feel, or, you know, some people are saying, or when they go, you know, everyone says, and they're coming to you on behalf of somebody else. That is a red herring. That is a red herring through and through because this is honestly a smoke screen. Usually what they're doing is they're using other people as an excuse to bring up their own complaints to you. And they're trying to tell you that there's a mob of people that are angry with you and they're trying to control the situation with this. And usually there's either no one agreeing with them or one other person's agreeing with them, their own little circle of people. But as soon as you hear, well, other people say blah, 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 you know what? I say this all the time. An anonymous complaint will get an anonymous response. In other words, I'm not going to pay attention to that. Like if you want to bring in someone's complaint, I told, and I told this person, the same person exploded on me actually. He was like, well, all these people X, Y, Z. And I said, well, if the person, if those people feel that way, they need to talk to me about it. Well, they don't really want to. I'm like, well, then we don't need to have this conversation. Because honest to goodness, if they are not willing to come to you and they're not willing to go talk to you directly, then and they want to remain anonymous and there's no point in trying to address something because as far as you know, it doesn't exist. So anyway, um, be careful of that, those types of phrases and, you know, call it out right when it happens because also it's either a smokescreen for, uh, for their own complaint or they're just a bunch of gossipers. And either way, you should call that out. You should say, oh, well, I mean, I think the best thing for people to do would be to come talk to me instead of go gossiping behind each other's backs and, make, and making, you know, invalid complaints without bringing it to leadership. I think that's a really decent way to handle that because one of the things I've realized after my first church splits, I should have handled these things a lot more directly than I did. So um, if a person comes in and starts coming to your church and go, wow, 
And they were like, man, your churches are so much better than all the other churches. You know, your, your pastor is just the bomb. My old pastor, he sucked. He was awful. He was the worst. Well, guess what? If he, they're saying that about their old pastor, don't be surprised when they say it about the current pastor that they're at. If they're saying that the old church sucked, don't be surprised when they start saying your church sucks. Because here's the thing, that's usually just a sign of a disgruntled member bouncing church to church to church being disgruntled. And so, you know what? Be careful of that person. Uh, usually, I, here's the thing, is I love hearing how awesome my church is. And I'll be honest, my people are pretty cool. But at the same time, I'm like, you know what? I appreciate the compliment, but I'm also going to be keeping my eye on you because I'm not sure if that is from a place of a genuine heart or if that's a place coming from a place of someone who's never satisfied and is just, you know, we're just one small topic or conversation away from a nuclear meltdown. So the other one is when they, uh, some disgruntled members will say, well, you're not spending enough time with us. In fact, there was a, I heard through the grapevine at a, one split that one family left and they were talking before, before like, we haven't gotten with him in months. Well, it's funny because they never asked to get together either. It, it, it is really funny. Also, and pastors, I've talked to a lot of pastors, a lot of pastors, lot of pastors hear this, that we, they don't spend enough time with them. Well, let me ask you, if you go to a church of a hundred people, Okay, 100 people. And think about the time expectation you're putting on your pastor, right? Like, oh, it'd be nice if you went out to, you know, grab dinner with us or something once a month or once every other month. Think about that much time that he, you are expecting him to spend. Now expect him to do that 100 times because there's 100 people in your church. That's next to impossible expectations for anyone to fulfill. He will never be able to sleep. He'll never take a day, day off. He'll probably die of a heart attack or anxiety or have a stroke, okay? Like, no one's gonna be able to fulfill that. So one of the biggest complaints I hear is that, but oftentimes they don't realize that pastors are ministering to other people who might have alcohol issues or they might have other marital problems or that or they're teaching people the word and you know, private discipleship and all these different things. And you know what? They just don't have time for tea time with you. At, the, at that moment. You know, squeaky wheel gets the grease. You know, if all you're doing, one of your biggest complaints is, I feel neglected because I need attention. You know what you could do? You could reach out to other people. You could go to other people and minister to them and then they'll pour back into you. That's one of the best parts about discipleship. Discipleship is about me pouring out into you and then you pour out back into me. You'll notice that the, the Christ poured into his disciples, but also the disciples poured back. Like John was the disciple whom Jesus loved, right? And laid his head on his shoulders. So anyway, so if you feel neglected in your church, maybe you should just reach out and go, hey, I'd love to get together with you sometime. Oftentimes the pastor is, you know, he's running around. He probably isn't thinking about every single thing that someone could possibly be feeling. You know, he doesn't, he can't read your mind. That's the point. So reach out or maybe reach out to one of the elders. Maybe you should create a relationship with one of the deacons at the time or something. But either way, the worst thing you can do is just cause a big hissy fit because then if your pastor starts spending time with you after that, it's going to be kind of superficial and you don't want to do it out of that. You want to just reach out. Some pastors aren't perfect either and pastors certainly can't read your mind or know how you feel all the time. And so just keep that in mind. Reach out to other people. Pour into others and they'll pour back into you. And, you know, be sure that you show the exact type of excitement of serving others that you expect others to show when serving you. Um, anyway, uh, when <laughs> remember this as far as another behavior. Well, oftentimes what they say is just an excuse for their actual underlying grievance. In other words, in my first split, they kept saying, well, pastor's okay with drinking. 
and they made the alcohol a thing to try to like moral high ground me, although they couldn't Bible high ground me. Hey, no. Mic drop. Mic. I almost dropped the mic, but then I, I realized those are expensive. No, don't but do don't do that. <laughs> but the thing was with that was that they kept saying that, but really what it was was all these things over the past year and a half that had built up, right? There's all these other things, and then they're like, you know what, we can't stand it, we're gonna leave. But you know what? We got something that might bother a bunch of those stuffy Baptists. He like, he's okay with people drinking alcohol. And what was actually funny is how many people agreed with us in the end because they're like, yeah, that's what the Bible says. We felt that way for a long time, but we just were willing to be unified anyway, even if you guys disagreed with us. So I thought it was just kind of funny how that turned out. But oftentimes what people say is not their actual underlying grievance. Uh, they're usually trying to find something to plateau on, or they finally got their dirt or their one thing that they can run away with. I've seen this happen a, a number of times at this point. Also, once they start getting disgruntled, the other behavior is look out, they're going to try to build a case. So they're going to go back the past however many years or months they've been attending your church, try to get as much ammo as they can, and they're gonna to try to build a case against you. This has happened a few times, and there's one individual I had a conversation with, and every time I was like, yeah, but this is what really happened when they were bringing up half-baked information, um, and then the person was like, oh, that's just like you, you just wanna fight me. I'm like, well, no, I'm just saying that you don't have the full story there, and I don't even know how you heard any of that story to begin with, because you were gossiping, uh, which is always a danger. So. Anyway, be careful of those uh, who are always going to try to build a case. Be careful of not to always believe exactly what they say is the issue. Also, these people are going to oftentimes try to build alliances. So watch out who they hang out with the most. And may remember, they're going to try to control you with a mob mentality, a large group of people. So look out for that. And usually these people are gossipers, they're slanderers, they're busybodies, they're trying to cause a lot of, lot of control and they're trying to cause a lot of conflict in that area and they're going to try to use all their people, their entire alliance against you. Uh, that was what was so awkward in my first split was there's two mobs, both on opposite sides, hating each other, but equally hating me. And it was really kind of, it was awkward and it was frustrating, but looking back, it's kind Kind of amusing at how it all turned out. And most of all is that when people leave, they usually will try to cause as much damage as possible on their way out. And this is true for almost everyone. So as soon as they get an issue with you, they're going to try to character assassinate you. They're going to either make phone calls. They're either going to go to people's houses and try to cause gossip and slander. They're going to uh, try to take their twisted case that they built against you and bring it before different, different people. They're going to, I've had multiple attempts of basically trying to assassinate me on social media. That's been fun. But the point is here is this is why you have to follow Matthew 18. And I've done this recently when there was a, an issue with a family. And you know what? it caused only that one family to leave instead of a group of people. You have to follow Matthew 18. If the people aren't repenting and they're causing these problems, you have to bring it before the church. Let the church hear it from the horse's mouth, from the pastor's mouth himself or the other people who are involved directly with this and that way you can control what really happened. You know, the whole point is, you know, these people are gonna try, disgruntled church members will try to cause damage and try to control the narrative. So it's important that you follow Matthew 18 through. That's one of the biggest reasons why Jesus said that. Why else do you think he'd have to bring it before the church? 
It's not so that you can gossip with the church. So the church can be aware of the issue. They can address the issue. They can pray over the issue. And most of all, that they can be prepared to handle it when it comes their way. So the thing is that... You know, it's really hard, especially the gossipers. Those are the hardest ones. I remember the first church split I ever witnessed was when I was a lay person in a church. I had just come back from Bible college and gone up, you know, up north, back up here, up north, from up, back up north from Tennessee. There's the words. I need, words are hard sometimes. Anyway, word in English, it's a struggle. But so... When I came up, this whole situation exploded in my church, and I was like looking at my soon-to-be wife, and I was like, I promise they're not normally this crazy. I don't know what happened. And I remember what that the situation pretty much entirely revolved around gossip. It was like once uh, this entire situation exploded in front of the church, and we found out all of these people had been gossiping, and that was what caused the division in the church. And that is probably the hardest one for pastors to deal with because gossip is sneaky, it's very cloak and dagger. And so the pastor has no idea that this monster is growing and growing and is about to rear its ugly head and show his ugly teeth and take a giant chomp out of his church until it's, got, it's too late. Which is why it's important as soon as that happens that the pastor deals with it harshly, like harshly strongly and publicly when that takes place. Now granted, it's a different conversation Conversation. We'll have a different video on how to handle it when a pastor is actually the one who needs to be corrected. So that'll be a fun video to do at some point because we're talking a lot on the pastor's end here, but there are times when pastors need the correction and need to be called out as well, which I have a few friends that are, are kind of doing that right now, which is kind of awesome. But here are the motives. So we got, there's only a few motives and that's it. So one, some of these people just need opinion validation. They want their feelings and their opinions validated. They don't care what the word says. They don't care what God says. They just want to feel like they're right and they want to hear it from you that you're okay with that. Of course, the number one thing is don't compromise God's word. Do not compromise the truth for the sake of someone's feelings and opinions. You know, we live way too much in a time right now where someone's morality is based on popularity instead of God's word. So we need to do that. We need to be focused on God's word. Also, some of these things are just control issues. Some people just have to control everything. Uh, we all have probably struggle with being a control freak to one degree or other, but some more than others. And these people are going to try to control the situation and it is in a very ungodly kind of way. And then the next one is personal agendas. So these people are just motivated by, they have their own agenda. They want to get in a certain position. They want to see, they don't like so-and-so, so they want to see them out. There's a lot of different agendas that could exist, but bottom line is personal agendas do exist. And that is a huge motive for these people. And of course, the probably the most gracious of all motives is less of a motive, more of a reason, which is simply ignorance. Some of these people just don't know what the Bible says, and they're just going by what they've heard their entire life, which is why you need to have patience and gentleness, kindness and love and humility when you talk to people about these truthful issues because you don't always have to pull a, like you know throw a grenade in the middle of the room now granted you might have to rip the band-aid off or pull the pin on that grenade to just deal with the situation but you shouldn't ever go in guns blazing you know some people are just ignorant and need to be willing to be taught and you know i have seen people in my church who come who disagreed with me on some topics and after some good thorough conversations their ignorance turned into education and now we agree um, and some people are just simply stubborn and that's going to happen but stubbornness is usually Usually, it stemmed in pride. So, either way, you know we have to be careful. But just I want to just try to warn you about those types of people and be careful because Paul said the wolves will come from in among you. They'll try to come in from among my church, and it's the people turning against the people. And 
it, it, as a pastor, it's one of those heartbreaking things to see. It's a very stressful thing to experience, and it can be actually infuriating sometimes. But as a pastor, you have to expect it because the wolves will come in from among them. But I want to warn you, churchgoer, church leader, uh, bystander who's just hanging out here on the channel for whatever reason, to look out for those people with these different motives and look out for these types of behaviors in people. Because when they come out, it can get nasty. And the more equipped you are to handle it, the more prepared you are in God's word, the more and more likelihood of being able to handle it in a way that is honoring to God and will end in the most peaceful way possible. And if not peaceful in a way that might not avoid a fight, but at least peaceful that you will be at peace that you made the right decision, if nothing else. So bottom line is, guys, I'm hope, I hope this video was helpful. Please subscribe to the channel. Go ahead and like, like this video if you could. Where every single one helps, especially at this point while we're still getting started. But I hope this was beneficial in some way, shape, or form. And please, if you know of a pastor who's suffering from dealing with a church split or disgruntled members, send them our, send them my way. I'd love to hear from them. Send them to the video or email us at thechurchsplit at gmail.com. We would love to talk with them. Maybe even have them on for a conversation or two. So anyhow, my name is Will, and this has been The Church Split.